everyone, this is Aileen, and this is episode 73 of The Music Room. In today's episode, I am super excited to have you listen to an interview with my friend Michael Seivert, all about social-emotional learning. Before we get started, a little bit about Michael. Michael Seivert is a fifth grade teacher in Ohio. He has been teaching upper elementary grades for 16 years. His passion revolves around social-emotional learning, and he works to make SEL accessible to teachers. He creates lesson plans and resources for the upper elementary classroom that have a trauma-informed lens. I know that you are going to enjoy this interview with Michael, even though he is a gen ed classroom teacher and not a music teacher. He does offer lots of suggestions for how to do SEL in the music room as well. So here's the show. This is Aileen, and I am so excited to be interviewing my friend Michael Seivert for episode 73 of The Music Room. How are you doing, Michael? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. First of all, I would love everyone to hear about, just tell us about yourself and your educator journey. Sure. So I've been teaching for 16 years now, all in the great state of Ohio, all in upper elementary, so grades four, five, and six. And while I took two years off, not totally off, but one year I was a reading interventionist. And then another year I was the RTI coach for a whole district, which was a whole experience and definitely led me back to the classroom. So yeah, all 16 years, pretty much grades four, five, and six. And I love that age group. I love teaching upper elementary and it's been awesome. Awesome. And you have a blog. Yes. Yeah. I blog over at MikeEDTeach.com. Um, it's kind of had some different iterations, but right now it's the big focus is social emotional learning, which I just love. Yes. And that's why we're talking today. Yeah. So that's a great segue into my next question. How would you define SEL or social emotional learning? It's such a big umbrella term, but really it's about helping kids identify, you know, emotions and feelings that they're having in themselves and how they can help themselves regulate those emotions when they get you know, we call them different zones in my district, but I know people have different ways of saying it, but you know, either a a red zone or when they're angry or upset, how do they get back into a zone where they can, you know, they're calm and they can learn. Um, It also deals with how do you interact with other people? How do you make sure that the way that you're interacting with other people is appropriate and that you're not causing other people, you know, to think like, you know, what are you doing or just being, being mindful of other people and then making really good decisions, both for yourself and for others. Um, and that, you know, we can, we talk about group work and we talk about peer pressure and different things like that. So just, you know, I say just, but it's, (laughs) you know, (laughs) the umbrella of just the social and emotional health of our kids and how they operate during the day when they're in all different types of academic settings and non-academic settings like recess and lunch and how they make sure that they're taking care of themselves mentally and emotionally. Yes. It's interesting. You said something about the, like the red zone and the blue zone. I've heard my youngest daughter, Macy come home and talk about that. Like, Oh, I'm feeling this color today, or I'm feeling I'm in the red zone or I'm in the blue zone or whatever. So that's great. Cause it, that shows that that kind of teaching can transfer to home situations too. Yeah, it really is helpful when they can, you know, even if they can't identify the specific emotion they're feeling, when they can at least put themselves in that category, it's so helpful for them to then help themselves regulate. So it's great. Sure. How did you get interested in social emotional learning? Honestly, was kind of a almost like a personal struggle with myself. I was having a lot of 
behavior management struggles in my own classroom. And I started learning more about social emotional learning and what it actually meant and how to incorporate it into your classroom. And I wouldn't say overnight or like there's no magic wand, but um, it really made a difference in my kids. And I was happier. I was, I felt more, you know, at ease in my classroom. The kids wanted to be there. So it was that kind of switch when I saw what a classroom could be um, that I really embraced it. And I've seen such great things with my students and progress with them. And um, it really is just a huge life changer really for the kids when it's implemented. And so that's really where my passion comes from is I've seen it work and I've seen it be so successful with kids. And so that's now my mission really is to spread it all over the place. Yeah, that's awesome. So as I've heard about SEL, I have heard some conversations where there has been some pushback. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've heard that too. So can you speak about that? What is the pushback about? How would you kind yeah. of address that? I guess like either I wasn't paying attention or it's new, but it really, you know, I've tried to kind of listen just so I can understand what people are saying. And it seems like it's a lot of um, misconception about what SEL actually is. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of concern about, are we teaching kids what to think or changing their mindset on things? And, you know, I think obviously it's more, it's not more, it's all teaching kids how to think and how to think about themselves and think about others and how all those different kind of elements impact one another. And so I think sometimes it's the fear of the unknown and not really knowing what SEL actually is. It sometimes get it gets kind of put into other boxes. Sometimes it gets it's been pushed with this critical race theory thing. And I'm like, they're not, I mean, we can, CRT is totally different, but we, I mean, they're not even related. So it's just, I think it's the confusion and not really understanding what it's about, wanting that kind of stuff to be taught at home only. So that's what I've kind of been hearing and trying to figure out how to educate back on that and explain what SEL actually is and what we're doing to help kids. Right. So what would you say the biggest obstacles are that that teachers face when they, you know, let's say they start learning about SEL and they want to implement it into their classroom. What are some obstacles that they might face with that? The biggest one that I hear a lot is time. Just when do you fit it into the, to the schedule? And that's, I spend a lot of my time when I work with other teachers working on that because even in, I mean, that social emotional learning is my thing and I don't even have like a block in my schedule for it. So right. It really is about sometimes getting creative with it, sometimes putting it in, even if it doesn't, you know, align with your district's pacing guide or whatever. So we we do time is something I hear a lot of, and then kind of kind of what we we're just talking about, not really totally understanding. I think teachers know what SEL is, but it's mm-hmm. such a there's such a big umbrella to it that there's confusion with how to implement it or what it actually is or how can I fit it into my classroom. And so those, uh, those would be the two things I would say are the lack of time or not really understanding where to put it in a schedule. And it's, it is difficult. And then not really understanding, not what it is, but how, how we can teach it and how we can infuse it into the classroom. So it is a part of the classroom and not like a separate entity, which honestly, I would be totally okay if there was a separate entity. Like I've, I've, I keep telling my district, I'm like, I would love a specials class. Like one of the days they go to social emotional learning or something like that. Yeah. You know, I think either way works and it's, it's more understanding what it is and how to help kids with it. And I also think sometimes teachers feel like it's not their place or like they don't have the agency to do it. I mean, that it's for like school counselors or it's for the psychologist or the therapist. And I'm like, 
when you have extreme cases, of course, yes, but, you know, developing that agency with teachers to let them know, like, you do know what you're doing and you, you do have the capabilities to help kids. So right. I would say those are the big ones. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the people listening to this are probably mostly music teachers and more specifically, mm-hmm. probably the majority of them are elementary music teachers. And we are so used to not having time because, you know, a lot of us only see our students like once a week or once at mine's once every five days for 50 minutes or whatever. So we're totally used to, like you said, infusing yeah. <laughs> um, something <laughs> into what we're already doing. So it's not like this separate, okay, now we're going to do a social emotional learning activity or, you know, whatever that might be, but it's kind of like, it's a name game that has an SEL mm-hmm. attribute to it or whatever that is. So yeah, I'm sure that there are good ways to kind of infuse it, which again, leads me to my next question. What are some specific strategies, lessons, or activities that could be used for social emotional learning? And if it could be done in the music room, that would be a bonus, but we can, Mm -hmm. we're used to adapting. So that's fine if it's more classroom geared. I think this is where the magic of SEL really comes in because a lot of what we talk about with strategies or activities is really more integrated in things. So you actually just said something that I think is really important. And I know it's like, I think music teachers are superheroes because you have to know, I mean, hundreds of names sometimes depending on your schedules. Right. And so things like name games or, or when kids are coming into the classroom and calling them by name, um, I, you know, we, in our district, at least at the younger levels, we send our kids to specials with name tags on mm-hmm. just because at least until the teachers are like, we don't need them anymore. But right. um, just cause I, I mean, it's a lot to remember all those names, but it really makes a difference when the kids feel like it's individualized or they, oh, they know my name. So that, that's really great. You know, I, one of the things that I love about music in general is how versatile it is and how many different ways you can use it. And I think Mm -hmm. it lends itself so well to social emotional learning because you can, I mean, there's songs that you can pick that deal with emotions or deal with feelings or deal with working together. Every time I've seen, you know, a whether it's a Christmas concert or just some, whatever, that some concert that the kids are singing, there's always some sort of song about like teamwork or there's Mm -hmm. like a partner dance or, I mean, there's so many things that lend themselves so easily to social emotional learning. And that's really what it is. It's, you know, and you talked about integrating it. It's really about finding those songs or finding those dances or those activities that you can do in the room that encourage, you know, either thinking about ourselves and our feelings and how those work with each other or a lot of the social awareness of how do we work with each other using different songs from different cultures or different diversities is really important. So I think, like I said, that's the beauty of SCL is that especially with music, um, Mm -hmm. there are so many ways that you can incorporate it really easily. And it just, it it enhances the classroom that way. And then I think on the other side of it, and again, again, superheroes, because you you have to see all these (laughs) all these kids and kind of know what makes them tick, but with behaviors and things, I think, because that's really part of SEL too, is how the kids are acting. And something I, I always talk about when I'm talking about SEL is that every behavior is a communication. I always call it ABC, all behaviors are communication. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes, and I'm guilty of this too. We think to ourselves like, why is he acting like that? Why is he acting Mm -hmm. poorly or badly? I've come to realize that they're not doing it on purpose, or if they are, they're trying to communicate something with you. And so it's really difficult, I think, sometimes to not take it personally or to think like, you know, oh, that kid's misbehaving because it, it must be me or something about my classroom. But it really is a need based thing. So we can talk about this with any group of teachers, including music teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, but just looking at 
why the kid is is behaving that way, what, what might be happening. And I think, and you, we've talked about this too, just between us, but one of the things I, is again, it's kind of hard not to take it personally, but I think it's really important to talk about is when kids come into our classroom and they, you know, they melt down or they, they seem like they're losing their cool or their calm. Sometimes it's because they feel comfortable with us. No offense to our general education teachers because they're awesome too, but sometimes the kids need a break and, you know, they might get to another, it's the first time they've seen another adult for the day and they just need to, it's their time to vent or something. And so I always like to remind people if a kid comes to you and they, you know, do lose their cool or they, they do have some behavior issues, it might be because they feel comfortable with you and they feel safe with you. And that's an awesome thing. So just keeping that in mind too, I think is really important, but yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes when my youngest daughter has a meltdown, like she has kept it together at school all day and (laughs) then she comes home and that's when she melts down. But like, part of that is like you said, she feels comfortable and she's kept it together. And now she's going (laughs) to, she's going to fall apart a little bit. I always feel bad for my parents when they, you know, when we're talking to them and they're like, every time she comes home, she's like, that's because she feels safe with you. That's a good thing. But you know, I get it. (laughs) Yeah. And I actually just had a conversation at professional development with another music teacher. Something that we as music teachers struggle with is that, like you said, we have hundreds of students. Some people listening may even have thousands of students. And so sometimes, you know, these students are coming to us once a week, let's say, and they're showing some kind of, or they're showcasing some kind of behavior, or we can tell that something is off with that, with their behavior, maybe they're not acting like they normally do. Sometimes we don't hear from the classroom teacher and that's, it's not, it's probably just that the classroom teachers are so busy. They don't always think to tell the special areas teachers, Hey, you know, so-and-so's parents are going through a divorce or so-and-so just lost his grandfather or whatever, you know, so-and-so's dog just died. They don't always think to tell us that. So do you have any suggestions, you know, speaking from a general classroom or grade level teacher, should we be reaching out to classroom teachers more? Is there another system that you've put into place to kind of communicate those needs so that we as music teachers know what's going on? Yeah. I love this question because I have struggled with this too, because I don't want to overwhelm the other teachers with all the information. So what we ended up doing, or at least what I ended up doing is I started the year with like a document that had all my kids 504 accommodations on it, just because again, when you have as many kids as you do, and there's all those 504s, that's a lot to comb through. So I would take my 504s and kind of break them down into like just little bullets Uh for my specials areas teachers. And then I started just, I carry on a clipboard pretty much wherever we go now. And I'll put little notes either like you kind of like you were talking about, like something happened at home, or he's been really off this week, just little notes. Not that I want to, I always try to make sure it's something that I know you might witness as a, as a teacher, I don't want to like, I always walk the line between, is it me? And like, is it just a behavior thing that just let it go so that maybe he does have a break versus like something that you would need to know. And I, so I just trade off the clipboard because the other thing that I, I struggled with was, and this is hard too, because I love you're with kids all day and you're like, Ooh, another adult. And you want to talk to them too. Um, but I know that, you know, we have so much time you could waste if you're talking in the hallway a whole lot. So I figured that clipboard was just a really easy trade-off. I hand it to them um, and then they can, you know, glance through it really quickly. So that's what worked has worked for me. It seems to work for the specials teachers too, but that's, you know, instead of overwhelming them with a bunch of verbal stuff. Yeah. I would love that. Yeah. I wish we could work together. That's so awesome. (laughs) I would love to just be, yeah, handed some information so that you can 
How's yeah. that for reference? Because it's always, I mean, it's it's hard for us to keep track. And I only have 50 yeah. kids. Right. So when I think about you guys, yeah. Yes. I always appreciate when a classroom teacher pulls me aside and says something, hey, just so you know, even if it's not super specific, but it's just to watch out like this student is having a hard day or whatever. Right. So I yeah. love that. Okay. So what are some resources that you would recommend for music teachers who would like to improve the social emotional learning in their classrooms? So I kind of geeked out about this because I, again, like I love social emotional learning and I thought there's some generic resources or books or things that I could recommend. And I thought, what would music teachers really love? And so I spent some time Googling and just finding some different things. Again, this is where I, why I feel like a little dork with SQL because <laughs> I was like, this is so much fun, but I'll give you the links too. Um, okay. But yeah, there were, great. yeah, there were some Dr. I think it's Steve. Edgar or Scott um, Edgar. I've heard of that Scott one. Edgar. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, he has a book and things that, you know, but if you, he, it seemed like he had a lot of other, you know, free articles on the internet too, but it, it had some great information and some really amazing ideas in there about, you know, ways to connect music education and social emotional learning that are kind of outside my scope as just a, as right. a general education teacher. So I thought that that was great. Yeah. And then there were two other I think they're nonprofits, but they were called Music for All and Save the Music. I don't know if you've heard of them. Yeah, I've heard of, is it like VH1 Saves the Music maybe? Maybe. Yeah. But they both had great resources too about ways to, you know, student empowerment with SEL and music. And so I thought those were great. But really, you know, when I think about resources and I think about SEL, it's really about talking to other people and really just kind of like building this, I always call it like a toolbox and just building all the different things that you think might work with kids or things that have worked in the past. And that's, I think that's the one thing that, and maybe that's another block from earlier that, or why teachers struggle with it, but there's not really an answer with social emotional learning, just like behaviors. There's not just, you know, we can, there's, I wish there were a magic wand and we could just like, right. Bippity boppity boo it, but right. um, <laughs> there's, you know, so it's when I think of resources, I think about asking other people what they might have tried or, mm-hmm. um, you know, just really kind of digging into what I can do to help kids and to not be afraid to go outside the box and try different things. You know, an example I can give, and I know it's a huge craze now, but back when it first kind of started and it was coming out on the scene was flexible seating mm-hmm. and letting kids sit where they wanted. And I was like, there's no way like this isn't going to work. I didn't even want to try it. And I did. Um, and it really does work because I don't love, I don't love the ramifications of this all the time, but if I need to move kids or if I need to, you know, kind of pull back the reins a little bit, I have something that I can use and saying like, Hey, I'm letting you sit where you want it. Mm-hmm. That builds relationships with kids and they, they trust you and they feel like, you know, you're on their side, but then you can move them if you need to back to an assigned seat. And so it was, it, it was just thinking outside the box with those kind of things and, mm-hmm. You know, I know some, and it depends on your district. If you have some districts are like, no, you need assigned seating all the time. Right. Um, especially now with COVID too. Right. But just kind of thinking outside the box with those kinds of things. And just, you know, I, I think, you know, even, and you guys are the experts on this too, but pulling into your bag of like what songs would work. I saw a really cool lesson plan that I almost want to try in my classroom, but it was about teaching the kids about the blues and mm-hmm. connecting it to the color blue and how those how does it relate to sadness and yeah. why did they write blues? I just thought it was really interesting. Like you, there's so many different things you could do with that. Yeah. Um, I love that. So just, yeah. Continuing to like pay attention to what works with kids and trying different things and understanding that what, what works for one kid doesn't always work for the next, which right. is frustrating. Yeah. Um, but ultimately like 
I think as professionals and as educators, we are the best resource. And so to rely on each other, like you said earlier, is the most powerful thing I think that we can do. Yeah. I want to also recommend, I believe I bought it from your store. You have a Google form. That's kind of like a, how are you feeling? Am I right? Yes. So I actually had started to do that a few years ago, but it was just like a very simple Google form I made. And I would have students like come up in number order, like kind of throughout the class, I'd have the person who's number one come up and kind of tell me on a scale of one to 10 or one to five. I don't remember how I did it, how they're doing. And then they'd sit down and tap number two and the number two would come up and that kind of thing. And then I was able to, to take a look at that and also communicate it to classroom teachers. But then I found in your TPT store that you had a much prettier one <laughs> with really cute emojis <laughs> and stuff. So I bought that. So I can link to that in the show notes too. Cause it, I think at first it seems like, okay, that's going to be a lot of work to do something like that. But if you yeah. set up a system in your classroom where it's just like the kids know, like number one goes and number two goes and number three goes, they really seemed to like that. They liked to be able to check in with me and tell me how they're doing. And then like, I had a kid who had put that he was like two in music class. And I had communicated that to his classroom teacher and his classroom teacher had a conversation with him and found out that he was really anxious about singing solos in music class, which like, I, I wasn't even at that point calling on anybody who wasn't raising their hand. I was only calling on people on students who were raising their hand, but it allowed me to pull him aside and say, you know what, buddy, like, I'm, I'm not going to call on you only if you want to. And if I really need to hear you sing, I'll pull you aside. So no one else can hear. And he was like, Oh, okay. And he seemed like he felt so much better. So just being able to, you know, that's just one example. There could be, you know, host of other things that are going on in students' lives where they're feeling down or whatever, but it's just a really cool tool for that. Yeah. It's so interesting because the things that, and I I, th- I think you might realize that, or you could experience this with the older kids too. They don't, they don't always tell you in, in person how they feel, but they will, they will tell you everything that's going on when they have that Google form. Yeah. So, Kids really like that individual attention. So I love that you're doing that. And then, you know, but sometimes they do want to tell you in a Google form. And I I have just found that it, it did. It sounded like so much work. And I was like, how am I going to sort through this? And now I have a system where I just, I sort through the, the emojis alphabetically and it tells me who's upset right away and I can check right. with them first. So I love that you're using it. And yeah, they love that individual attention. Yeah. Anytime that you can, if they're doing something independently or practicing an instrument or whatever, and you can just check on them and say, hi, they love that. And it means so much to them. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, do you have anything else that we haven't touched upon? I don't think so. I keep doing what you're doing and keep being awesome because I know that it's not always easy teaching and worrying about all the behaviors and worrying about how the kids are doing and the fact that you do care and the fact that you do worry. Don't worry too much. Don't (laughs) don't take it home (laughs) with you, but (laughs) thanks for everything that you're doing as teachers because you're awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Well, where can we find you? I know you have a social emotional learning course that has just opened up or by the time that this episode airs, we'll have opened up. So please tell us about that and your blog and anywhere else that we can find you. Yeah. So the course is called the trauma informed lens, and it's all about just thinking through kind of what we're talking about, really kind of thinking through behaviors that your kids might be demonstrating in class and what might be going on. We talk a little bit about SEL, but at this point, I feel like people at least have a base understanding of it. So we really go into trauma and how trauma affects kids and how trauma isn't just like the big stuff. Sometimes it's that little acute stuff, almost like you were talking about um, with solos. It's not like we're causing mm-hmm. trauma, but to them, that anxiety is, yes. it can, unless you figure it out, 
and ask them, they can sit on that for a year. <laughs> so <laughs> we talk about that kind of stuff and really delve into how to make it easier in your classroom. And I really spend a lot of time on, you know, making sure that it's doable and it's quick and it's easy for teachers because the last thing we need is another something else on our plate. So just kind of talking about what you're already doing that's great in the classroom and just little tweaks and things that I found that work for me and kind of working together. It is a course, but there's a component of it where we have live Zoom meetings and just kind of talk anonymously about our kids, obviously, but because sometimes you just need a sounding board or you need some ideas or you need someone to kind of just talk with to figure out what might be going on. And so I think that that's really helpful to have. And I'm, I'm excited about it. Hey, that sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm on all other social media and my website at MyKDTeach. The website's MyKDTeach.com, but that's where you can find me. Awesome. And I will put all of those links in the show notes. So if you go to MrsMiraclesMusicRoom.com slash podcast and you find this episode, then I will put Michael's course and all of his social media. He's on Instagram. He is on TikTok. He's on everything. So <laughs> I will make sure <laughs> to over. add those too. Yes. And I forgot to say, because your listeners are awesome, I did include, and I'll, I gave it to Aileen, a discount code for y'all if you want to join the course. Um, so yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Should have put that in there. All right. Do you want to talk about what we're consuming? Sure. <laughs> I can go first. Um, I, we just got Apple TV. I didn't realize that like when you buy a new iPhone, you can get like three free months of Apple TV, Apple TV plus or whatever. So Scott and I had been going back and forth because we also got HBO max not that long ago. And we're trying to do like one platform at a time, you know, because you can spend so much money on all the different platforms, but you really can Yeah. But then I found out that I could get Apple TV for free for three months. And so I went ahead and signed up for that. And I had heard so much about Ted Lasso. Have you seen Ted Lasso? Yes. I love Ted Lasso. Oh my gosh. It is like, it's so funny because I heard uh, teachers talk about it in the teacher's lounge and they were like just raving about how good it was. And in my head, I was like, okay, it's probably good, but is it really that good? And then (laughs) we started watching and I cannot believe how many times I was like laughing hysterically. It is awesome. It really is super funny. I love that it's funny too. And it has good messages all the time. Like, yeah, it's like lighthearted, but also, you know, has some deeper things going on, but it's not super intense, but it's also hilarious. I just love it. What about you? Great show. Yeah. What are you consuming? Well, I'll keep the theme going with the platform. (laughs) I'm also on Apple TV plus right now. And I swear I didn't do this on purpose, but (laughs) the new musical comedy they have called, it's not new, but newer but uh-huh. Schmigadoon. I have heard good things about this. I haven't seen oh it gosh. yet. And now it I was, can. Look at that. <laughs> it was so good. It, they kind of in a in a good way parody like the Music Man and Carousel. Uh-huh. And it's just it's so funny and it's it has good messages with it too, kind of like Ted Lasso. Just kind of it's one of those like you when you need to just kind of just relax, but not like trash TV, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. You still, I mean, it's, it was just, it was lighthearted and fun and I really, really liked it. I hope they bring it back for season two. Yeah. Oh, I'm super excited. It didn't even occur to me because I keep hearing about Schmigadoon and now I'm like, oh wait, I have Apple TV. You do. I can can watch it now. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, Michael, I so appreciate you coming on the podcast. I, I really feel like the strategies you talked about are things that we as music teachers, A, a lot of them we're probably already doing yeah. and B would be easy to add into our lesson. So it's not like another thing, but something that we can, you know, keep kind of aware of how our students are doing and keep 
reaching them. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right. Have a good day. You too.